The Tennis Gambling Podcast and Sports Gambling Podcast now are presented by WinBet. Bet $50 at WinBet and get $200 in free bets. Bet big, win bigger with WinBet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning today. We're also brought to you by SGPN Fantasy. Dominate your draft with the free SGPN Draft Kit. Just go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash draft kit. And the free roll football contest is back and better than ever. $5,000 up for grabs in our NFL contest and $1,500 in our brand new college football contest. Sign up exclusively in our Discord, sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Discord. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Discord. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Reichel, and joining me once again is my co-host, Sam Jacob. And together, we're going to go through one of the biggest tournaments of the year, definitely the biggest tournament remaining on the, tele- on the tennis calendar, the U.S. Open. Should be a lot of fun, but before we actually get into the breakdown, Sam, how's it going with you? How's your week been? All right. Yeah, I wasn't in on the last podcast, so glad to be back. Um, We had that Winston-Salem tournament, which obviously wasn't the greatest field in the world, but it was interesting and fun to see those guys like Manorino and Dejer uh, be able to succeed and Manorino to win the title. Uh, But that's not what we're here for. We're excited to see some high-quality action and doesn't get more high-quality than what we're going to see in the next couple weeks. Yep, definitely should be a lot of fun. I know that we do have some news to go through before we actually get into the U.S. Open. First of all, I'm going to recap how I did last week. Did uh, did the pre-tournament show, didn't actually have time to do a show for the semis or the final, but the outrights did not work out. However, I ended up losing the lock. I had Milman beating Ramos Vinolas. He ended up losing... But I did have Musetti and Gasquet over two and a half sets at plus 135, and that got there. So hit the dog, lost the lock, and decent results, nothing spectacular, and hopefully wound up sweeping the board this time around. But we got to at least talk about the U.S. Open. I think what we're going to do for this one, Sam, we're going to go through the actual tournament outrights. Then we'll go through the quarters. I'll take an ad somewhere in between. Sound good to you? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Cool. So starting off with the U.S. Open, we got to at least talk about the first piece of news that I was going to mention or I alluded to earlier, which was Medvedev being the favorite because there's a certain somebody who is not going to be able to attend the event. It is Novak Djokovic, and he officially withdrew his name from consideration after the U.S. decided to not allow him to participate. We've mentioned in the past how we think Djokovic should have been allowed to play. Of course, he is not able to go. Now, Medvedev has been struggling lately, but my question for you, Sam, do you think Medvedev should still be the favorite right now? It's a real shame. I I just want to talk about Djokovic real quick. Obviously, I've been advocating for him to play, and there's really no reason why he's not playing right now. It's really just absolutely ridiculous. Um, Before I get into that Medvedev question, I do want to ask you, he did withdraw, and the U.S. Open uh, Tennis Association did say that he withdrew. Is that actually a proper thing to really say here, or is it really they denied him, so he was just like, instead of, no, you're not firing me, I quit type of situation? The way that I understood it was that it was common courtesy by Djokovic, because he could have tried to drag the thing out. However... By taking his name out of consideration, he opened the door for another person who might not have made the tournament 
But the point is, instead of having to wait to the last minute and forcing a last-second scramble by the USTA and really anybody that was trying to figure out who exactly would be in the draw, by doing it beforehand, he made the situation a lot more clear, so to speak. So the officials and the powers that be had the ability to know for a fact he's not going to be here. We can determine who's gonna, who else is going to fill the spot before there was some scramble at the last minute. So, in other words, he didn't withdraw because he was injured or something. He obviously was not allowed in, which is why right. he ended up taking his name out. But it was considered common courtesy, since he knew he wasn't going to be able to participate, that he just accepted and moved on instead of trying to make a big deal out of it. That was my right. interpretation. Right, yeah, that's how I understood it as well. And, you know, it's a real shame we won't see the top player play in this tournament. And it's really ridiculous, you know, that he played in Wimbledon, uh, obviously won. And I don't know, I don't really understand why the U.S. can't allow him to play in this tournament. But we move on. And the question was if Medvedev deserves to be the favorite here in this tournament. And my answer is yes. I think that there's definitely a fair reasoning for him to be the favorite here. But he's going off the U.S. Open win, title win last year. And he's the best player in the field. He's the he's the number one in the world, and he deserves to be, and he deserves to be the favorite in this tournament. Do I think he will win the tournament is another another question for maybe a little later we will decide. But um, yeah, I do think he's he should be favored when it comes to this tournament. Yeah, I think he should be favored too. Or the favorite. Yeah. The, now he's still a plus two sixty or so, so it's not like he's a minus or anything absurd. So I think the the actual price is fair. He is the defending champion, whether Djokovic played or not. You could make a case. Djokovic was going to be favored no matter what, but it would be relatively close because Medvedev did 3-0 him in the final last year. Now, Djokovic was going for the uh, year Grand Slam. Golden uh, Slam. Uh, well, gold, Golden yeah. would involve the actual Olympic medal, so he was going for a regular Grand Slam. Still yeah, impressive that's... nonetheless. But that's the point right. is, I mean, you, you, that's every eight years. Is that really inconsiderate? I don't think that's inconsiderate. I'm just saying the, the golden medal technically includes the golden grand slam. Technically includes the Olympic gold medal. That's why it's called the golden slam. Otherwise, it's just the grand slam. But that's really just logistics. The point is, Djokovic played a bunch of tennis last year, and you could tell at the end he was kind of wavering because he kept dropping the first set of every match, and Medvedev crushed him. And Djokovic, I believe, took a couple injury timeouts in there, but no excuse, Medvedev crushed him. And I do think, as a result, Medvedev should be favored to win this event. Now, to go through the actual odds here, once again, of course, if you shop around, you'll find different prices. But to focus on the main odds that I'm going to be using, uh, you have Medvedev as the favorite at plus 260. You have Nadal at roughly 4-1. to one, Alcaraz at 550. Kyrgios at 8-1. to one, Tsitsipas at 14-1. to one, Sinner at 16, Fritz at 20, Chorich at 22, uh, Felix at 28, Berrettini at 28, Herkaz at 40, along with Nori and Rublev. Uh, I can go even longer than that, but I feel like that's going to kind of cover it, at least for the initial discussion. First of all, I'm going to ask you, I don't want you to fully pick who you think is going to win the tournament. We could do that, but I'll ask you first things first, out of all of those names I just mentioned, which do you think is the most mispriced, either positively or negatively? Um, but what I think is the most mispriced, 
going down the list here i mean it all depends on it, it, it really i would have to get into the draws at this point to tell you who i think is the most mispriced but it's a guy we've talked about time and time again being mispriced and it's alcaraz uh you, you said it was like six to one i see five and a half plus yeah, 550, 550 i mean protect, yeah uh yeah it's he, he hasn't he hasn't been that guy to win tournaments recently and he's never won the grand slam a grand slam so i mean plus 550 is way too low once again uh for a guy that has not achieved all those uh different things different accolades so uh, alcaraz is the guy that i see as the most overvalued price uh in this tournament yeah and i don't want to really continue to beat a dead horse, but we've talked about Alcaraz in the past. And the issue that he's really run into is also a couple of early round scares. I know that he had a five-setter against Ramos Vinolas, for example, in the French Open, but it seems like Alcaraz drops a decent amount of sets, and I wonder how he's able to fully overcome that fatigue-wise or energy-wise, because even going through last year, Last year, he ended up making it to the quarters before withdrawing because of injury against Felix. But to go through those matchups, he beat Nori in straight sets, then dropped a set against Rinderknich. He won in four, then beat Tsitsipas in that thrilling fifth set tiebreaker, then went to five sets against Goyochik, and then had to withdraw because of injury against Felix. But when you're dropping sets against Rinderknich, Two sets against Tsitsipas, that's fine. Tsitsipas was number three in the tournament. You win five sets against Goyochik? Really? Mm, he saw... was exhausted. He must have been exhausted. That's but... what I'm saying. And the injuries caught up to him, which is why he ended up losing to Felix and why he had to leave mid-match. But right. I just wonder how many Grand Slam tournaments he's going to deal with some unexpected marathon matches, which are going to take the wind out of his sails. And I wonder if fatigue is going to catch up with him, especially when you're going five sets. If you continuously go three in these two out of three tournaments, that's fine. Just three sets, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But you're going from three to five. You're adding an extra, what, like hour and 40 to your yeah. time on the court? I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, so, it's, it's a big deal. That is a very big deal when it comes to... You can't have these early matches go five sets or... I mean, four sets, one thing, but five sets... Um, or lose, even losing, dropping a set to Rinderknecht, you, you just can't do. You can't really afford it when you have to play Pass and Augur later on. And if you are doing that, you're going to be in big, big trouble because, like you said, fatigue is going to get to you. And he played, He was able to beat Nori in straight sets. The last person he lost to, Nori. I don't know how he would do against him now, um, but he's going to have a tough time if he performs like that again. And I think that's what really helps separate Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal from every other person basically throughout tennis history. It was just their ability to advance basically to the quarters of every Grand Slam playing the minimum sets. It seemed like you would just go through the tournament and be like, oh, 3 nothing, 3 nothing, 3 nothing, and then they'd go up against a ranked player, maybe drop a set. But words cannot really describe how I'd say important it is to conserve as much energy as possible in the early rounds in order to use more of it in the later rounds. And that's one thing that Alcaraz has really not fully learned yet. And that's why we've seen him kind of struggle down the stretch in Grand Slam events. It's because he's had a lot of marathon matches early on 
that I think we would agree a lot of the other higher tier players would have avoided. Yeah, absolutely. And we could go to the U.S. Open last year and see the Medvedev path that he took uh, to win the U.S. Open. He, he dropped one he set Gasquet, the entire tournament. Right, he played Gasquet, 3 nothing, Kepper, 3 nothing, and Duhar, 3 nothing, Evans, 3 nothing. Then he lost in the quarters. To, I mean, it lost its set, one set to Van de Zandt Schulp in, uh, in the quarterfinals, and then beat Auger uh, in the semifinals, dropping at zero sets. So, right, like you said before, he dropped only one set in the entire tournament, but it's all about that buildup, and that buildup, he lost zero sets. In the first four matches, he dropped absolutely no sets and won 3 nothing, and that's how he was able to conserve his energy, really, and move on and really be able to be at full strength when he was playing a guy like Novak Djokovic and take the title. Uh, yeah, If you drop one set, I can understand the first couple matches, but more than that, you're going to you're gonna have a problem down the stretch. You really and that, are. And you mentioned Djokovic, and that was a big reason why I personally believe he struggled physically down the stretch, is because in addition to playing all the tennis and going for the, you know, the added pressure of the calendar Grand Slam, he dropped a set against Rune in the first round, beat Greek Spore in the second round, then three, four sets Nishikori, four sets Brooksby, and then you go up top, four sets Berrettini, five sets Verev, and then three sets loss to Medvedev. So Djokovic dropped at least one set in every round except the second round against Greek Spore, and that's why he ran out of gas. He was cooked physically in the final set, and I am worried about Alcaraz potentially hitting a wall at some point, probably in either the fourth round or the quarters. So that's kind of the serious problem that I have with Alcaraz. I think he is definitely too low. I am going to pivot and talk about another guy, a guy who's actually right beneath him in terms of odds. It's going to be Kyrgios, and he's around 8-1 to one or 9-1. to one. And I am aware of how well he played during the summer and how he ended up winning a tournament in Washington. However, I do want to at least point out his recent form and he has been struggling a bit lately. He had the win against Medvedev, beat Diminur, and then lost to Herkaz in three, where he was absolutely gassed. He lost 6-1 in the third set. Then beat uh, Davidovich Fakina, and he didn't exactly look sharp in that match, but he won in straight sets. And then Fritz beat the crap out of him, and Kira's looked totally cooked physically once again. Now, he hasn't played since, so I do think that the time off was going to give him an extra... I'd say gear physically, but he has been making some concerning quotes in the media for the past week, talking about how he's extremely homesick and how he's not fully, fully motivated. And to read off some of these quotes, first of all, he's facing one of his best friends, his doubles partner, Kokonakis, in the first round. But to go through some quotes, he said, quote, again, it's just another tennis match. Whether or not I win or lose, it's going to be the same for me. If I lose, I get to go home. If I win, it's more money and another great result. There's so much going on at home. My brother's had a baby. My mom's sick. It's just hard to be away. It's definitely weighing on me every day longer that I'm on the road. I just want to go home, but I know there's an important event here, so I've just got to put this aside. End quote. Does that concern you at all, that he's basically talking about how badly he wants to go back to Australia? but he still has to play some tennis because that kind of concerns me. 
it concerns me a lot, actually, with a guy, especially like Nick Kyrgios, who could be a guy to just put down the racket and say, I'm going home here. That was uh, word for word, by the way. I did not paraphrase that. That's the exact word for word quote that he had earlier this week. Yeah, it's very, very, very concerning. Um, a guy like Nick Kyrgios, who wants to go home, will go home. He won't, uh, you know, see see how important it is. Uh, and stick through it. Well, he may, but you know, he's the guy that could um, just be like, "All right, I, I don't need this," and I could go home. Uh, where, like you said, my brother had a baby, whatever it is. Uh, his, Most, his, mostly the mother being sick, but still, the point is, a lot going on back in Australia. Right. Uh, he, he could be. He's definitely the guy to do it to just put down the racket. And it's it's very, very, very concerning that you say that. I mean, his performances in the summer were spectacular, and I'm not taking anything off his losses to Hercots or Fritz because of how he did it in Washington and how he won the singles and doubles, and he was just tired. I can, completely understandable, completely justified uh, how he lost in Montreal and Cincinnati. But that's the main reason that Kyrgios can lose is what you stated right there. That is, yeah, it's very concerning. Yeah. So I brought that up because I think he's also overvalued. I think it was fair based on how he was peaking during the summer once he beat Medvedev to be around eight to one or nine to one. But with those quotes, there are even more quotes where he's talking about how he was exhausted after Wimbledon. He didn't get to enjoy it. And there's a lot going on there. So based on all those quotes, I don't think mentally he'll be able to keep it together for two weeks. I think Curious should be closer to like 20, like maybe 15 to 20 to one, because those quotes really suggest that he might get through a round or two. But he's still doing doubles as well. It just really seems like he does not want to be there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, based off his performances, those odds make perfect sense to me. But based off what you said, it's a variable we got to throw in there, and I don't think absolutely. the odds makers are adjusting enough. So I, I think he might lose. To, I think he might lose to Kokonakis first round. I'm not fully picking that, but I think that's going to be a war. I think it's going to be more competitive than people think. But everyone's going to expect Kyrgios to just roll and probably face off against Medvedev at some point in the U.S. Open because they're in the same bracket or same quarter. I'm not sure Kyrgios gets that far. Yeah, it's not. It's not based off his performance at all. It's based off literally what you said. It's the mental side. The of variable. It. Yeah, it's it's basically a a flip of a, a it's it's a flip of does Kyrgios decide that he's just is going to play there for the fans and then he's going to have enough and can't doesn't want to do a three out of five for this whole two weeks um, or not and most likely than not he's not going to go full through this entire tournament with what you just said. So uh, I, I definitely agree with you on that one, that he should be definitely more of a plus 2000 if you're considering those factors because of a 50-50, if he wants to put down the racket or not, you would add like a minus 110 to his plus 900, and that would be the really correct odds that they should be putting out. Yeah, so I just thought that was worth bringing up. I, I think we're on the same page, though. Alcaraz is definitely mispriced. I think he should be closer to 10 to 1. Nothing absurd, but I do think he should be in quadruple digits. Curios, I think, is mispriced because of the actual mental aspect, which I just went through. But to go through some of the others, uh, I know that we have a lot of potential options for some sleepers, a lot of quality players that are still pretty solid plus prices. But actually, before we end up getting into some of those guys, we're going to take a quick word from our sponsor. 
Thinking of joining WinBet? Now is the perfect time because new customers who bet $100 get a $100 free bet. If you're betting on baseball, then you have to check out WinBet for their reduced juice on baseball games, which makes them the best place to bet MLB. Plus, the WinBet casino is always open 24 hours a day where you can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000. Win also just released their first quarterback with five touchdowns prop bet. There's so much to choose from, and all you have to do is head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet so they know we sent you. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T to claim your free bet today. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're also brought to you by Odds Trader. On this podcast, I've mentioned time and time again the importance of shopping your lines. And while it might be annoying to pull up several books to find the best line available for you, it takes a lot of effort. And luckily for us, Odds Trader does the work for you because Odds Trader is the perfect place to compare odds from all the major sports books in one central location. You can also compare the different sign up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal when you initially sign up. The app provides you with player statistics, key game stats, injury reports, and projected game day weather for betters to make the most informed bets possible. It also has a bet tracker feature so betters can keep records of all their games and betting activity. Go to oddstrader.com slash bluewire, oddstrader, the number one site for all of your game day bets. The free roll football contests are here. College football contests, $1,500 up for grabs. And the NFL contest, $5,000 and a two-night stay at Win Las Vegas up for grabs. Sign exclusively in our Discord, sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Discord. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Discord. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. We just went through some of the favorites for the U.S. Open. Now it's time to talk a little bit more about either some mispriced players on the positive end or some long shots that we think could potentially make a run based on draw. Starting off with Sissy Poss at 14 to 1 onward based on odds. Sam, does anybody else jump off the page to you? Uh, but going by quarters, um, each one of these quarters. Um, let's, let's just start. What are we, uh, should we start with the quarter number one or you want to? You know, that's, that's probably a better way to do it. We kind of went through the actual uh, favorites, but we can kind of work backwards. We'll go through the quarters and then we can work ourselves to the actual outrights once again. Yeah. Uh, so we'll do it that way because, of course, you got to get through the quarter in order to actually, uh, you know, win the title. So quarter one, we'll go in order here. Uh, Medvedev, even money. You can find even minus at some spots, but I found even money. Uh, do you want to make a case for anyone else? I know you mentioned potentially Kyrios beating him. Then I mentioned well, the mental stuff. I'm assuming you're not picking Kyrios to beat him now. Uh, yeah, I mean, now it's tough, but yeah, go through the the top six or eight of, yeah, okay. the, of the quarter. Why not? So Medvedev is even money. Kyrios plus 333. Felix is plus 750. Karenia Busta is around 10 to 1 or 12 to 1. You can shop around. Batista Gut is 18 to 1. And Diminor is 20 to 1. A couple other long shots in there, but that's basically it. So starting off with quarter one, who are you picking? All right. Yeah. I mean, going through this quarter, 
Um, with uh, the person that I saw beating Medvedev is curious because I think Medvedev actually does have a little wrinkle in his game now that people have exploited in the past couple of tournaments, and that's the serve and volley because of Medvedev's. Uh, his tendencies to stand way behind the service line. You'll be able to serve, run up to that to the net, and play a good volley there, and win win some points easily. And that's how people took out Medvedev in these previous tournaments, like a guy like Tsitsipas. But in this field, I don't see anyone else who would be able to serve and volley so successfully like Kyrgios or Tsitsipas. So I am going to go with the even money Medvedev, but. For anyone on the other side, like I said, like I keep saying in every, almost every single uh, podcast, you look at the other side of the quarter just to see who could possibly get there and have value. Um, you have Augers, uh, Auger as the second favorite uh, on the bottom of the of the quarter. Not second favorite in, in the quarter, that's yeah. curious, but you know what I mean. And then you have Karina Busta on the bottom, and you have Demon Hour on the bottom. Kakanov, I'm not really putting in this picture with his performances at the moment. And um, it's it, of those guys, what I would like, what I think is going to happen is either Demon Hour or Karina Busta coming through. Um, I don't think Augur is going to have the capabilities right now to pull through against both those guys. He only, he only has to play Demon Hour. Uh, but I just I don't see him pushing through um, to the uh, quarterfinal at this point with his his performances recently. Um, so I, I mean, Demon Hour at plus two thousand is the the second thing I would take. But I'm really I'm I'm focused on Medvedev at even money. He's still the strongest player of this field. He's still the strongest player um, in the tournament, really. And um, I, I would take Medvedev at even money to win the quarter. Yeah, so I'm with you on Medvedev. I think even money is a very good deal, especially comparing everyone else in the actual section. I don't really see many people that could give him problems. Kyrgios has a decent path, but even if he's not fully focused, he would most likely have to face off against Batista Agut before he actually gets into the matchup against Medvedev. And Batista Agut could be a real problem for him if Kyrgios mentally is just not there. I think Batista Agut could wear him down, and that could be a problem if Kyrgios gets that far. But the point is, I like Medvedev, obviously, and you mentioned him, and I have a ticket on him to win the entire tournament. At 200-1, to 1, he's down to roughly 50-1. to 1. I got Karenia Busta to win the entire tournament uh, during the Montreal tournament, actually. But I like him to win this quarter at least at this current price. If you look at the current price, Busta's best available price is around 12 to 1. He looks so damn good in Montreal, and he beats so many good players, and he looked very comfortable throughout. The main situation or the main thing that popped out to me was the serve. And he didn't get broken that often, and Sinner couldn't do anything against his serve. A lot of the early matchups, really, he was holding at will. And I think Busta, assuming he stays healthy, because fitness has been an issue in the past, he has made the semifinals here twice. So he's made deep runs before. So I know he's capable of doing it. He has a lot of energy. He has very consistent strokes. If the serve doesn't deteriorate, I do think he can make a serious run. I'm not picking him to beat Medvedev, but if Kyrgios did find a way to beat Medvedev, then maybe Busta can find a way through. I just think 12 to 1 is a very good price for a guy who was really playing his best hardcore tennis, in my eyes, in arguably his entire career about a month ago. 
I think that's a very good deal at twelve to one. I'm. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to disagree with you at 12 to one. I think what you've got your price to win the entire tournament's a great deal, but uh, I don't see him being able to take advantage of the, the weakness of Medvedev here. Yes, his serve is very good, but Medvedev will be able to return the serve. And I don't think Karina Busa's volleys are going to be good enough to take out Medvedev. So I don't know, but I think he has also a couple tough matchups coming up. Um, he has a team in the first round who I think Karina Busa is going to take out team. Team hasn't really been, playing to his full form, obviously. Um, but it's still, you know, it's still that guy to play. And then he has to play Bublik or De- and then Demon Hour. So, and then Augur maybe after that. So I think he has a really tough path, to be honest with you. So I'm not, I, I'm not so much in favor of the 12 to one. Of course, I like your 200 to one or whatever you have on him to win the title. But uh, in my eyes, I just, I just seem Medvedev here. I, I'm scared of anybody else losing to somebody even before they get to Medvedev, which takes a, takes away the the value. Yeah, looking at the head to head, it is currently five to two in favor of Medvedev, four two on hard court. Busta did beat him once last year on hard court, but he went one and two, and Medvedev did win each of the last two meetings in straight sets. So I understand your points. I'm kind of hoping that. I know we just criticized or mentioned that Kyrgios might struggle, but the fact that Medvedev might have to face Kyrgios first does give me some type of an extra gut shot draw in poker terms because Kyrgios could hypothetically upset Medvedev, and I'll go from there. Maybe. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think that is another wrinkle. But 12-1, to 1, especially if you end up going into that matchup, let's say Busta plays against Medvedev in the quarters. What's Medvedev money line there? Like minus four hundred, minus five. Yeah. So you can you can always hedge that if you want to. But yeah, no. I, I I just think it's I threw that I threw that out there. I think that Busta is a good enough player where you can argue that his odds should actually be lower or the exact same as Felix. And I think as a result, he's a bit mispriced. Uh, right. You mentioned Diminor, which I can understand. I still question if the serve is good enough. Uh, we saw he had a lot more power which is why he was able to destroy Brooksby in that final uh, a couple, about a month or two ago. But looking at his actual draw, it's not bad by any means. I think that it's somewhat doable, but I am not sure if he's going to be able to get past, uh, for example, Karina Busta. I mean, you'd have to face him. Who would you pick in that matchup? Um, I, I would side with Karina Busta there, but I still think that's a very tough matchup to play. So, I mean, Bautista, I, I mean, Demon Hour also has a very tough path as well. Um, I just think he does have a chance to get out of the um, basis side of the, in the bracket. First round too. So, but it, just to throw one, if I'm getting crazy, which I don't recommend to anyone or suggest to anyone, just a fun one that I'm putting out there Bautista Goo versus Medvedev. Four and one. Yeah. Four and one. In favor so that, of Batista. Interesting. In favor of Batista. Yeah. And very, you can find 25 to one on him to win the quarter. Very interesting stuff. It's all been two out of three, of course. And it's not, a, that's the big thing. It's not a grand slam where Batista has won these matches, but it's just, it's just interesting to see. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to put that out there. I'm no way taking Batista good to beat Medvedev, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to mention it. I'm going to mention that it does, that stat does exist. Well, one of them was in 2017, but you do have 2020 and 2021, both hardcore, Agut won, and then the last two matchups were on grass. So right. Batista Agut is technically 3-0 and on hardcore 
against Medvedev. <laughs> Just saying, technically that's true. So yes, if you want yes. if you want to throw a flyer for twenty five to one, I don't mind that. Uh, especially if Kyrgios gets upset early, then Batista Gut might have a really nice path. So yeah, I don't mind that either. I mean, Wolf might be a little bit tricky in round one. I think Agut probably wins that in four or five. But then you have Tabio, uh, most likely, in my opinion. Uh, then you potentially have Kyrgios, who might get upset. So you might be looking at like a Bonzi or a Herbert. Like, it's, not, it's not a bad draw for Batista. I think that definitely makes sense. But I think that's kind of going to do it for this overall uh, quarter one. I mean, unless you want to make a fun flyer on Kokonakis, but I'm not going to do that. No. Um, yeah, to go through quarter two, this should be one of the most unpredictable ones because you have the favorite at plus 300, and it's Tsitsipas, who is 3-1. to one. Fritz is 4-1. to one. Berrettini is 450. Rude is 650. Korda is 9-1. to one. Zanschulp is 14-1. to one. Cressy, 16-1. to one. Then Murray and Davidovich Fakina. Murray's at 22 to 1. Uh, Fakina's at 28 to 1. Um, Sam, you have anybody that you like as one of the lower odded players? Uh, that you mentioned, uh, the only guy that I see that from the lower odds spectrum of things that you've mentioned is Tommy Paul. And he's been playing very well on hard court, and he has to play one of the um, as one of when he gets to one of the top guys, he has to play Casper Rude, who I definitely think he could um, beat him. Yeah, he definitely could be is definitely beatable uh, when it comes to these top guys and these top seeds. So uh, then he'll have to play either Taylor Fritz or Zan Van Van de most likely. So he, he does have a path. So if I'm picking somebody who is down on that list that you mentioned, it'd probably be a guy like Tommy Paul. But when I'm looking at the actual overall quarter, um, I think Pass has a very nice path to take away this quarter and blow everybody out of the water. The only wild card really is, is Berrettini because he is on his side of the quarter. So And Berrettini has uh, been a mess for the last couple right. of months. Absolutely, yeah. Berrettini's not been playing well. I mentioned when he was playing in the, his first match on hard court when he switched up um, that I had no faith in him. But this Grand Slam, it, it could be a different story. But with Tsitsipas's previous performances, uh, him beating Medvedev uh, in that tournament as well, I think Tsitsipas has a very easy and clear path here to take over this quarter. What I'm very surprised about is Fritz and Tsitsipas being so close together in terms of odds. Yeah, I think that's definitely fascinating. I'm sure some of that is based on the home court advantage, so to speak, because of Fritz, of course, being American. Uh, to go through the path, actually, for Tsitsipas, Golan in round one, then Sonigo or Thompson, sure, then most likely Cressy, in the third round, and then, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you can really just go through this, and it's most likely Berrettini in the next round. Berrettini could be tricky, but we're not sure he's going to get that far. Berrettini does have a decent draw as well. Assuming Sitsipas plays against Berrettini, are you taking Sitsipas in like four or five? Because that's kind of where I'm leaning. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely think Tsitsipas will come through in that match. I, I don't think Berrettini will be able to flip a switch where he's going to be able to play some guy like Tsitsipas, one of these top guys, and just be like, okay, I'm great again. And the, so, and the backhand for Berrettini has been a mess, which I think is a serious problem for him in this entire tournament. Oh, uh, yeah. There, there's been players, when they play Berrettini, they basically target his backhand, only hit it to the backhand, mm -hmm. which has been a big problem for him. On grass, it was a completely different situation, but... 
Uh, here we've seen on Hardcore in his recent performances, it's it's been all over the place. So I really think it's a, a clear path for Tsitsipas here. And it being at, you said, three to one, I don't think is bad at all. And we're lucky, I think, to have um, a lot of these big names sort of out here, like Berrettini and Rude and Fritz, maybe, uh, where we can get Tsitsipas at a number like three to one. I think that is a great, great price um, for him. For the record, looking at the head-to-head, Tsitsipas is 3-0, and lifetime against Berrettini. Uh, two of those matches came on hard court, and he did drop he dropped one set in each match, but he won. So Tsitsipas is undefeated against Berrettini if you wanted to look at the head-to-head. So I agree with you. I think that this is another good spot for Tsitsipas. I know we've been critical of him because of the fact that his backhand can also self-destruct at times, and mentally, he occasionally runs into problems. But I really don't see many great options in the quarter. Based on the odds, you have Berrettini, Fritz, uh, you have Rude. I really don't think Rude's going to give Tsitsipas that much of a problem, just because of the fact that I think Tsitsipas' serve is significantly better than Roots, and I think Root will have a hard time holding. It's not clay where the points are extremely long. I think Sissy Paws could potentially overwhelm Root if they would match up. Fritz is interesting, but I still don't really trust Fritz, and he's had some physical issues over the past couple of tournaments, so I'm not exactly interested in Fritz. You mentioned my long shot here, which is going to be Tommy Paul. And if you shop around, one book has 12 to 1. Another book has 33 to 1. I think the 33 to one's an autoplay. I, I think that he has a very, very good draw to make it potentially to the fourth round. Now, from that point, you might have to hedge. But at 33 to one, I think that's definitely worth a shot, especially with how well he's played. But to go through Paul's draw, uh, he has Zapata Marias in round one, who's a clay specialist. Then Corda Bagnus. Now, Corda is probably going to win that one. You might have a competitive match. I think Paul is better than Corda. If I had to group both players together, then probably Rude. I don't think Rude is a great hardcore player. He's fine, but I don't think he's amazing. I think Paul could beat him. And then after that, you're looking at potentially Fritz. And I think Paul could potentially beat Fritz. I think there's a decent path here for Paul to make a somewhat deep run. So I do like the odds at 33 to 1, especially compared to 12 to 1 elsewhere. I think you have to bet the 33 to 1, right? Yeah, 33 to 1 is a great deal. I mean, uh, no doubt about it. Even if he has these tough matchups coming along, or even if he has to play rude, 33 to 1 is such a massive deal, a massive value, massive price. Well, the opposite, least expensive price. It, it That's that's not a no-brainer. Throw a couple dollars on that plus 33 to 1 and let it ride. For the record, to go through the actual head-to-head here, uh, Rude and Paul played three times. Uh, Paul Paul is one and two. They played twice on hard court, one and one. They played in the Australian Open last year, and Rude won in four. So Paul did take a set, and now he's going to have the American crowd behind him. So he might be able to pull that off. Uh, let me just pull up his numbers against Corda really quickly. Well, P- Paul has been playing a lot better since even last year. So he he's really seems like a completely different tennis player at this yeah. point compared to where he was. So I, I wouldn't even compare it to that. But it, I mean, I'm just going based on history. The point is he still has given Root some problems against Corda. He's 0-3. However, they played twice on hard court in 2021. It did go a maximum three sets. So it was very competitive. 
and now Paul is playing the best tennis season of his career, I do think there's some value there for him to pull off an upset. And I think that Corda could always lose and get upset in the first round because Corda, his stroke self-destruct at various points. So do I think Bagnus will beat him? Probably not. But I think it's possible. I would have seen crazier upsets, if you know what I mean. But I think that's basically it for this section. I'm not making a case for Murray. Murray's never going to make a quarterfinal, in my opinion, ever again. Um, Do you want to make a case for anyone else, or is that basically it for the second quarter? Because I don't really see many other options. I mean, I... I, I just think Tsitsipas is a good deal at three to one, and I was seeing Fritz so close to Tsitsipas. I don't even think it's worth it to go with Fritz, where he has to play uh, Zan Schulp, then Tommy Paul or Casper Rude, yeah. and you know all these different players, where you could have a guy who's obviously high class and that we've no been there before, like Tsitsipas. Yeah, uh, I think we're on the same page. Uh, now moving on to the third quarter, Alcaraz's favorite at plus one fifty. Sinners plus three fifty, Chorich is six to one. Uh, you probably find better odds if you shop around. Herkaz is eight to one. Uh, let me just compare here. Yeah, so I found Chorich at seven fifty. So Chorich seven fifty, Herkaz at eight, Chilich at uh, let me just yeah Chilich at ten, Brooksby at twenty, and then Manorino twenty five to one, Dimitrov twenty five to one. Evans at 25 to 1, Nakashima 25 to 1. You get the idea. So, starting off with the favorites in this quarter, I know who I'm picking. I'm curious if we're going to pick the same guy. Uh, I'm going with Sinner to come through here. And this is majorly because we will have to play on the bottom, will probably be Carlos Alcaraz. And Sinner, we all know, is the Achilles heel for Carlos Alcaraz. So, um, I think he just these matchups that he will be facing center is perfect for him to pull through. The only question mark is him against her Really? I mean, center has to play Altemeyer in the first round, then the winner of Pedro Martinez, Eubanks, then the winner of uh, Dimitrov's Johnson or Nakashima Kotov. I mean, it's, a, it's none of those guys are even close to scaring me against center. Then he has to play her which is the question mark, I think. And then he would have to play Alcaraz. And Alcaraz, we all know, can't beat Sinner. Um, so I'm, I'm taking Sinner here in this quarter. We're going to disagree. Now, I understand where you're going because I like Sinner too, but he really has not impressed me recently on the hard court. I'm going to go with the guy who had the Cinderella run, who managed to win a tournament. I'm taking George at 750. I don't know what happened with regard to his serve, but he looked absolutely incredible that entire tournament. And I think based on upside alone, I think 750 is a good deal. And I think if Chorich can play anywhere near the level that he played when he ended up winning the entire tournament, I think in in Cincinnati, I think he can beat Alcaraz. And I think that Chorich is... Just I don't I don't even I can't even say he's mispriced because he really came out of nowhere and I get that he's had some physicality issues with fitness and how he was battling a bunch of injuries before his dream run. But everything about Chorch's game clicked in that tournament. The serve was great, the return was great, he dropped one set to Nadal and won every other match in straight sets, and he beat some really good competition as well. I'm taking Chorich. I really liked what I saw. And I think that some of that can snowball in a positive way. His confidence might be at an all-time high 
based on how well he played. Am I nuts for considering George at 750? I don't think you're nuts. I think that we're going off a very small sample size. We're seeing him it's very, very play small. extremely well in one tournament where we didn't see him play well like that ever in his entire career. So I can understand uh, you're really going for the uh, positive and the plus side here. For it's George. the upside play for but me. But I, we, I mean, I don't even know how far he's been able to go in, in a grand slam in the past. So for me... Uh, I, I'm I'm having a tough time really picking him, even though he has played so well. He did play unbelievably well in that tournament, but it's just not enough for me. It's not, I haven't seen enough from him to be able to say, yeah, I'm 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 going to take him to win a quarter of the U.S. Open. For the record, to go through his career, he did make his furthest Grand Slam run in the U.S. Open in 2020. He made it to the quarters before losing to Zverev in the quarterfinals. Uh, beat Sitsipas in five sets in that tournament. Uh, yeah, it was basically it. He had a pretty easy draw, not going to lie. But the thing is, we're talking about how volatile Chorich is. I've seen Alcaraz have some issues, and I've seen Sinner recently have some issues. And since both of those guys who are favored in front of Chorich are extremely young, there is a chance that one or two of them could self-destruct. And you might be looking at Chorich getting a suddenly easier path than expected. But I understand the drawbacks of taking Chorich because of the fact that he had some physical issues and it's, I'm really judging it based on one tournament. But I saw a tennis player that I had not seen previously when it comes to his previous body of work. And I really do think that if Chorich can even channel any bit of what he had in that uh, Cincinnati run... I think he's got a shot to do this thing. I'm not fully picking him to fully do it, but I do think it's a decent option, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I can. If you think he's going to be the exact same guy, I completely understand it. I just I haven't seen enough from him where just this one tournament that he's won means that he's going to propel himself all the way to victory land in the U.S. Open. So yeah, that's fair too. But I do want to ask you about the long shots in this section. There's one guy I'm looking at just based on how well he played during the summer. And I'm not saying that I actually realistically expect him to make a deep run, but I am at least intrigued by Dan Evans. I'm kind of looking at that at 25 to 1. I feel like Evans, based on how well he did play, and he even brought Karenia Busa to three sets, he gave him a series run for his money. He beat Fritz twice on hard court in the last couple of weeks. Am I wrong for thinking there's value at 25 to 1? Because it seems like Evans has really started to fully, fully dial in on pretty much every aspect of his game. And I think just based on where he's priced, he's priced with bigger odds, larger odds than Brooksby and Dimitrov. He's got the same odds as Nakashima. I feel like Evans is mispriced based on how good he was during the summer on hardcourt. What do you think? Uh, I think Evans is one of those guys that I... I wouldn't, I do not consider for these type of matches, uh, these type of tournaments. Uh, he has a decent draw. I'll that's what, that's why I mentioned that. it. The draw is not bad, and he has beaten Chilich in a Grand Slam Australian Open a couple of years ago, but he has beaten Chilich before. 
Yeah, if we're looking at history, though, it, when I when I'm looking at Dan Evans in Grand Slam performances, he's only won fifty percent of his matches. He's twenty three and twenty three in total Grand Slam performances. So I mean, he made the fourth it, round of the U.S. Open last year before losing to Medvedev. So he I mean, did make the fourth round. It's not bad, but he, he's got to go all the way here to win this quarter. And he's got a lot of players he has to face. And I just don't see him being the guy to be able to win these three out of five sets uh, matches to be able to get there either. Um, I Usually when we see in these grand slams are the guys who are known to be sturdy and developed and be able to, you know, get, get their way to the quarterfinals. And we've seen them in the past, but we just haven't seen that from Dan Evans um, here. So I don't, I, I'm really going to stay away from him. I think Hercats, in my opinion, is is a good deal at uh, eight to one, you said. Well, I, I was mentioning long shots. But I, I think they'll only. I have no player, long shots. Yeah, I, I think that one of the favorites is going to win this quarter for the record. But if we were naming hypothetical long shots, I just think Evans is mispriced because of how good he's been this past summer. There's no way he should have either the same odds or greater odds than Dimitrov. That's a joke. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I mean Dimitrov is Dimitrov should be fifty. Not even healthy, I don't think. No, Dimitrov should be fifty to one or like even higher. Like Dimitrov's got no chance in hell. And Manorino is coming off of a winning tournament with no off time in between. Evans should be have lower odds than him. I think he should have lower odds than Brooksby. I just think Evans is a better player than Brooksby. So that's kind of my logic. I think the core. I think his actual draw is not bad for the first couple rounds, and he has beaten Chilich before. That's kind of my only reason for it. I just think Evans should be closer to eighteen to one than twenty-five to one. Uh, yeah, fair enough. And uh, Dimitrov, the point of Dimitrov is very fair as well. I don't think he should be even considered there. I, I just for to win these quarters. Um, if you're not even lo- if you're not looking at hedging opportunities, then you it's just the, those guys who are battle tested. If you're looking for hedges, uh, hedging opportunities, it's all about the draw, and you got to get lucky to be able to get to the point where you can even hedge, and then you have to hedge. So yeah. I don't, I'm I'm just not looking at those guys that are down at the t- thirty to ones and and higher for for these quarters. Yeah, but moving on to the fourth quarter, I know that we've gone through these pretty deeply, but they're going to circle back to the outrights, obviously. Fourth quarter, Nadal is the favorite at even money. Nori is 550, Rublev 650, then a bunch of 14 to ones or greater. It's basically a three horse race. Uh, I'm not picking Isner or Shapo, so have fun with that one. Uh, yeah, are we taking Nadal, or you want to make a case for Nori or Rublev or somebody else, but I doubt you're going to pick somebody else. Well, I'm I'm gonna make yeah I am gonna make a case, and the reason why I would make the case is if Nadal's not at the performance level that he wants to be at, if he's not in full form, if he's still hurting from the injury, we have seen him play in that in the tournaments, um, and then he lost to Korch in three sets there. And he really he didn't look good in that match, there. by the way. He did not look good at all in that match. Absolutely, he wasn't he wasn't there at all. So. He, he he could definitely be not in his full form here, and that scares the crap out of me. And if he's not in full form, then uh, one of these long shots may have a good opportunity here with only Nori, Rublev, and Shapo, who are three guys who really are not performing as well as they should. Definitely Shapovalov and Rublev. I think, Nor- I think Nori so, has. I think Nori's been good. 
Nori's been okay. He, uh, he's lost some crucial matches that he really shouldn't have lost uh, in, in these recent tournaments. But uh, anyway, when looking at the draw, um, if if Nadal is not fully healthy, you have a good shot at some some long shot. And I'm actually looking at somebody that's close to him in the bracket then, and that would be a Schwartzman at twenty to one um, to to win this quarter. I, I I think he's been there before. He's made. Um, quarterfinals in the past. I found 33 he, to one. 33 to one is beautiful. Love it. More the merrier because just the, on the fact that Nadal might not be healthy. Schwartzman has one, the, one of the best paths I've seen of anyone, even in this tournament, if the top guy is not there to, to play and he plays Jack sock in the first round. And, you know, I actually think Schwartzman is like really, really, they're really insulting him with the odds and to be Jack sock in the first round. But, um, just to go down the matches still, then he has to play Papyrin or Tsang, Kubler, and then, or Tiafo. and Schwartzman's a guy that's a veteran in, in the field and he's battle tested. He, he hasn't been performing well lately per se, but overall as a player, Schwartzman does have the capabilities to run those guys over. And if he has to play Karatsev instead of Nadal in, in that uh, fourth round, not so bad at 33 to one to be playing a guy like Nori in the quarterfinals. Yeah. So I've already made a bet on Schwartzman to beat Sock. Uh, that was minus two hundred. I threw it in a parlay. I so I don't understand. I mean, I Schwartzman hasn't been playing well. Yes, but neither is a guy like Schwartzman. Well, I was is, gonna say, for, forget about the fact Schwartzman has been great lately. Neither is Sock. It's when has Sock been good? It's it's just I. It's very insulting to see those type of odds. I would never expect that unless they had some kind of insider information here. But you look at both those players, it doesn't matter. If you look at both those players, one's way more battle-tested and have won way many more matches on on hard court. Not to mention the stamina advantage because Sox stamina and fitness has been atrocious lately. While Schwartzman can play for four-plus hours on a court, you won't be able to tell. I, so. I just I don't understand those odds. It's it's even sketchy to me that it's that low. Yeah. And only minus two hundred. So I, I don't know what's going on. But uh, just looking at the quality of player, Schwartzman, if Nadal is not there because of his health, not not bad at thirty three to one, being able to hedge maybe against the Nori or um, or like a, a Rublev or something like that. So yeah. So for me. I do acknowledge that Schwartzman has value at 33 to 1. Uh, I think Rune also has value at 33 to 1. And the only reason why I say that is because Rune did end up playing a three set, a max of three sets match against Nori. And Rune had a shot to win that match. And they're in line to play each other in the third round. So I know Rune actually has the game to give Nori some potential problems. So I think that's a possibility. At 33 to 1, so if you want to sprinkle a couple of 33 to 1 shots, I think there's worse ways to spend your money. If you're asking who I'm picking to win the quarter, based on value, I'm going to pick Nori. I, I think that Nori has actually been playing very well. I think you're giving him a bit of a hard time because if you look at who he lost to, he ended up losing to Medvedev. That happens. Lost to Chorich after a three set marathon, three hour match against Alcaraz the day before with no time off in between. And we both picked Chorich to win that match. And Nori also lost to... I'm drawing a blank. Auger. Uh, they lost to Auger in, Can- in Canada after he just beat him a week prior. I think Nori's actually been good. 
I, I get what you're saying because you want more titles per se from Nori, but I think 550 does sound about right because he has played. I found six to one actually. I think he's been playing like a top ten player, so I think six to one is probably who I would pick for value. I think personally, Nadal is going to win the quarter, but I can't bet it because of any potential injuries that linger. I, I just can't find the value there. My favorite pick will be Nori at six to one. But I don't mind throwing in a couple of long shots on Schwartzman and on Rune if you think that one of them could catch fire. And Schwartzman's made a couple deep runs in the U.S. Open before. Yeah, I mean, I, Nori, he, he's played well. Uh, but no, I don't know. I just saw him, saw him being very volatile recently in his play, um, but especially when he played Korich. I know Korich went absolutely crazy, I just think he so went I can't blame mode. him against yeah. that. For that one, but I don't know. I just see. I saw Nori play, and it looked a little bit like it was volatile. But when I look at Nori in the past as well, he's won fifty percent of his Grand Slam matches, and six. He won six and nine on hard court specifically. I do. I just haven't seen him do well specifically in a Grand Slam, and I think that there's a good chance where somebody could take advantage of that and because of stamina or because of their plays just in grand slam be able to take down nori in one of the earlier uh rounds where somebody where have having a long shot has way more value i'm personally hoping that nori once he made the semis at wimbledon had a new found confidence that'll let him perform well moving forward and he's been phenomenal the last year and change. I mean, he went from being basically an unranked player to being top 10 in the world. So I do think he's a little bit, uh, I don't know how much stock I can put into his former performances. I will at least mention he did lose in the first round of the Australian Open to Korda. In fact, they got blown out. So if you do want to follow that logic, he all, he did struggle on hard court in the Australian Open this past year. But I'm hoping his trip to the semis in Wimbledon. And Nori's also one of the most fit players on tour. So he is capable of really surviving and even thriving in these long five-set matches. He would be my favorite pick, uh, but I'm also looking at Schwartzman and I'm looking at Rune as my two 33-to-one shots or long favorite shots. Pick, favorite pick if you're not going to take Nadal or favorite pick even including Nadal? I just think based on the shortest odds that I think has still a decent price to it, I think it's Nori. I can't trust Rublev. Rublev's been a, lo- Rublev's been a lunatic for the entire summer. Oh, yeah. And Nadal has the injury issues. So out of those three guys who are in single-digit numbers, I think Nori's the best price, in my opinion. I, I just if, if Nadal is not there and we're taking him just out of who we're selecting here... Once again, I, I'm picking just, Nadal to win the quarter. I just can't take it on value. There's no value at even money. Right, yeah. I'm talking specific value, specifically value here. If Nadal's not there... A long shot can, is going to pull through on his quarter or on his side of the bracket, I should say. And there you have um, the, the guys like uh, Schwartzman, Giron, Tiafo, and Ketchmanovich. And I, I just see Schwartzman there, thirty-three to one. If Nadal's not even there, then you have a really good hedging opportunity. If he does hit that quarterfinal at thirty-three to one, that big of a price, that big of a deal. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth a flyer but I think that's going to cover it. Do you have any thoughts on Rune? I know Rune has been a bit of a psycho, but he did give Nori a run for his money, and he took a set off Djokovic last year in the first round of the U.S. Open. He's been decent on hard courts. Any thoughts there at 33? 
his recent performances have not shown me too much, though. I mean, he lost to J.J. Wolf. He got absolutely bodied by Karina Busso. Obviously, won the tournament, but he got destroyed. Yep. So I, I'm staying away from Rune. I don't think he's been playing so well here. I kind of just mentioned it because I do think he can match up against Nori, and that would be his main immediate competition. That, uh, that was the main reason why I brought it up. He'll have to play Isner. I actually think Isner could beat Rune. I think he could, too. But I'm just throwing it out there. But uh, anyway, that's going to be the quarters. Now it's kind of time to circle back to the outrights. So based on who we mentioned, are you picking Sitsipas at 14 to 1? Because we both think there's a lot of value on him to win the quarter at about 3 to 1. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with a guy probably. If I'm, if I'm going to do um, a to win the tournament, style bet, I'm going to go with Sitsipas. I think he definitely has a lot of value. I think he's got the uh, nice path in his quarter, and we have a great, great deal on the plus 300 there, but we already seen him play Medvedev and beat Medvedev, which would take him all the way to the final, and if Nadal's not there, Sitsipas is going to be the next best guy, even in the entire field, so yeah, I'm definitely going to go with the, for value, plus 1,400 Sitsipas. I actually found 16 to 1. So we'll, right. we'll, roll, we'll roll with that. Um, anybody else you want to talk about for any potential medium shots or long shots here? Because I feel like we both acknowledge it should be relatively top-heavy. Yeah, it's... I have a play on boost at 200 to 1. I'm not recommending that at 50 to 1. I only got it because I knew those lines would plummet once Djokovic was ruled out, and they did. So I, I did my part. I got what I needed. Um, I'm trying to think of any other serious shots. I mean... Hell, if I pick George to make the yeah, George has already gone this far. Might as well take him to like thirty. I'm not picking George to win the tournament, but I'm trying to think of guys that I think can have upside of making a dream run. Doesn't George a thirty-three to one kind of check some of those boxes? Where if you're looking for a guy who, if he continues peak form and hits his peak, I think George could be basically anybody. If George somehow plays the same quality tennis that he's done in the previous tournament, that's then, all yeah, I'm referring to. He could, he could beat anyone. I mean, he beat he beat Tsitsipas in the finals. So he crushed him. He he was seven nothing in that first tie break. So I mean, if you think he's going to be the same exact guy, sure you could take him to go all the way. But um, I don't really see any real deals here besides going with the top heavy guys or having fun and going with a random guy you like and throwing like a, a small amount just for fun. But I don't think it's ever going to happen. These grand slams is the, it's one of the top guys and it's one of the top guys for a reason every single time. Yeah. I'm trying to think of past results. Rublev's made two quarters, but I can't trust Rublev right now. Uh, if I was picking any American, I mean, Fritz would be the main option, but I'm not picking him to win a grand slam ever. I don't think Fritz is good enough. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see much. Maybe since I mentioned Nori at six to one to win the quarter and he has made this, he made the semis in Wimbledon, maybe, but I mentioned that his hard court, uh, performances have, I think they've been fine recently. You have not been too impressed, but 40 to one for a top 10 player. Maybe that's worth a, something, but I really don't see many options. I mean, yeah, it, it's really just not great. You mentioned Batista good to win the quarter with good price. I think I'd rather take the quarter than 125 to one on mm -hmm. Busta. Uh, not Busta, sorry, on uh, a good. Yeah, I found Batista. one. Yeah, I found 150 actually on Batista. So I guess that's the best price I can find there. 
and that's basically it. I mean, I don't, I don't really see any other options. I think Sitsipas might be worth it if you think he can actually win a Grand Slam. I don't think he's ever going to win one, from what I've seen, just based on mentally. I think he's got a better shot now because there's mid-match coaching. So now he can actually just get told what to do instead of having to figure it out on his own. So I think that's going to help him. You want to make a case for Sinner or for any of these other guys no. or no? No, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make it. I don't. I don't want to make a case for any of these guys that, especially, haven't made it like a quarter or anything like that or semifinal. I should say. Like I said before, these the, the the winner of these tournaments are the same guys every single year, and it's for a reason. These top half, these top ten, top five guys. Are, are the people who win these tournaments. Yeah, and even you look so, at the Cinderella stories. You know, Nori made a semi. Hell, even Golfin made a quarterfinal in Wimbledon. You go down the line. It's a great story. The three the three Grand Slam winners so far, Nadal, Nadal, Djokovic. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's literally the same story. So, yes, you can talk about a dream run and picking a guy to like Alcaraz to make a deep push. But until somebody consistently dethrones, I know Djokovic isn't there, but for the sake of this Medvedev, because Medvedev is the defending champion. Nadal has the injury issues, but I mean, if Nadal's even near 90%, he's what, making the semis? Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's that would be a very, very interesting match if Medvedev makes the final and Nadal is fully there, makes it to a final, because we've seen the vulnerability of Medvedev only really being on the serve and volley side of things, and Nadal's not going to start Nadal's done that very, very well against him. Two very, it was very, very competitive five-set matches in the Australian right. Open and the U.S. Open final a couple of years ago. It seems like Nadal does kind of, I don't want to say live rent-free in Medvedev's head, but Nadal wears him down over the course. But the fact that both... Grand Slam final meetings went five sets means you're basically flipping a coin between those two. Are right. you picking Medvedev Nadal final? Um, I, I kind of am. I'm 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 scared to do it just based off the injury the, stuff for Nadal, the injury stuff on Nadal and Medvedev's vulnerabilities that we've seen. I love Medvedev. I think he's a tremendous player, but we've seen him be vulnerable recently. It's it's there. It's a fact. And if Kyrgios wants to be there, he could be a guy that could serve in volley and beat him. If Tsitsipas makes it that far and plays Medvedev, he just beat him also. So I, I'm not... This is a different ball game with Grand Slam, and I understand that. But with shown vulnerability and shown injury from Nadal... I'm not. I'm. It's it's very tough to pick the exact finalists here. If you're forcing me to, I'm definitely. I'm probably going for it. I might actually go with Tsitsipas Nadal. I'm definitely taking Nadal to the final because I'm not gonna say Nadal's injured when I don't actually know if he's fully injured or not. And he's obviously the guy that's if in form is going to make it to the final out of every single person in this uh, tournament. So I am gonna go Nadal, and I think it's either gonna be a Medvedev or Tsitsipas situation. Yeah, and just to go through those prices, by the way, Medvedev and Nadal are obviously the favorites to match up at around 6-1. to one. I don't think there's value on that. Sitsipas Nadal, though, in the finals is 22-1. to one. It's, a, it's a fun a one, but I wouldn't even do that if, uh, if I have a 14-1 to one or him to win the corner, even a 3-1. Oh, you're not going to get a good deal on any of these finals matchups anyway, but I'm expecting yeah. Medvedev-Nadal if I had to pick who I think is going to match up. But either way, it's time to transition and talk about our favorite actual plays for the non-outright markets for the actual matches. But before we do that, we're going to take another quick word from our sponsor. 
We're also brought to you by Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. And they also just passed 4 million users. And now you could win money on Sleeper by playing their new over-under game. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over-under. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money that you put in. And with the NFL season right around the corner, Sleeper is is the first sports contest game built into the fantasy experience. The main reason why I'm excited about the over under on Sleeper is that it's the only app where I could join my buddies contest and play together. It's got a built in group chat where I could see and copy my friends picks with just the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. Stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new over under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money on your mobile phone. Join our listener group at uh, on Sleeper at Sleeper.com com slash SGP and sleeper will automatically match your first deposit up to $100. Again, go to sleeper.com slash SGP and you'll get $100 matched on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See sleepers terms of use for details. We're also brought to you by Run Your Pool. Run Your Pool is the home of competition, bringing sports fans and their social circles together to compete, connect, and make every game more important. Run Your Pool offers every game type under the sun, from Pick'em and Survivor to Fantasy Pools. It's a one-stop shop for sports gaming with customizable features that you don't get anywhere else. We've teamed up with Run Your Pool to host a pool for our official SGPN NFL Survivor Contest. Hop in now to reserve your spot, $500 cash, plus a $250 gift certificate to the SGPN store to the winner. Sign up today over at play.runyourpool.com slash SGPN. That's play.runyourpool.com slash SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. We just finished going over the outrights with the overall tournament winner and the value plays and our picks for each individual quarter. Now it's time to get into the actual matches for round one with the lock and dog segment. Sam, I'm going to let you go first. What is your lock for round one? So for these grand slams, what I like to do is take a look at guys that are kind of even. And because it is going three out of five sets, I think when they're really even in level of performance uh, and form to take it over, and to look at the over, maybe even in sets, but to take overs is really what I like to do because you have to go through so much out of a three out of five match instead of a two out of three match. And you could show a little bit of fatigue and maybe give up a set and then go four. And I'm going to, I'm looking at Nishioka versus Davidovich Fukina, and I'm going over the 37 and a half at minus 105. I think right now both of these guys are pretty much even in terms of form and quality of play, and I think it's definitely going to go for a fourth set um, if this match plays out in full, which it should. And in that case, I think there's no one here that will be able to. No one, none of these players will be able to dominate the match so much that. Uh, it will go just three nothing. So I'm going to go with the over 37 and a half games in the Nishioka Davidovich Fukina match, and it's basically because of that big factor of having to play three out of five sets, like I mentioned before. So just for comparison, by the way, what is the over three and a half sets in that one? Some type of huge like minus 190 minus or something? Uh, let's see, three and a half sets. Do I see it here? 
I'm having trouble finding that. That's one. what I. That's what. That's uh, what I was assuming it was going to be. Um, I'm having trouble finding it. Okay, hang a second. Well, while we pull that up, I just wanted for comparison. What is your dog for the first round? Right, so my dog is um, going to be. I'm just going to go straight money line on a play tomorrow. I know you like me doing futures. We already discussed that who we like for the futures, but I'm I made a go. joke. You're going to take top half of the bracket or some nonsense, but but I'm going to go with Serendolo at plus one fifteen to beat Andy Murray. I just we just haven't seen Andy Murray be able to play very well recently, and fatigue is something that I think will be a major factor with Andy Murray's play, especially in the U.S. Open um, with hot conditions and on hard court. So I'm going to go with a guy that is more youthful and can have more stamina in his game, and especially at a underdog price. Definitely, I think, has value. I actually saw plus 120, so I'm going to go with Sarandolo to beat Andy Murray in this first round tomorrow. I think that match is going to be very, very competitive. I think, honestly, if you want to take Sarandolo, you could just take either in four or five. I, I, don't think Sarando, he, I just saw Sarando plus 132. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I don't think he wins in straight sets. So no. I, I think we'd agree on that. So if you want to find an even juicier play, maybe consider four or five. Because I do think there's going to be a lot of length to that match. You're just banking on Murray being older and eventually he's going to run out of gas. Is that basically the idea? Right, and we've seen it in the past. So Yeah, so I found, by the way, the Nishioka match, both players to win a set is minus 160. Uh, okay, yeah, so I'm going with the 37.5 minus 105 here. Yeah. Just a small, small uh, price you got to pay for the book there instead of getting even money, a little bit of juice. But um, I think if you just one set, if it goes four sets and one set goes to a tie break, I think we are in the clear. Yeah, so for the record, I actually kind of like Nishioka as a slight dog in that match. But to go through mm -hmm. my lock and dog, my lock's going to be a two-pick parlay. It's going to be Schwartzman. On the money line at minus 200 as the first pick. At the end of the day, Schwartzman has been significantly better, excuse me, on the hardcourt surface recently. He's been very, very good at the US Open in his career. Jack Sock actually has not been very good at the US Open in the past, and that was before all the other fatigue concerns. If you want to look at his overall numbers at the US Open, Schwartzman's been really good. And I said he's made the quarters here a couple of times to go through the actual records. Uh, let me just pull that up for a second. Sock is 13 and 12 in his career at the U.S. Open. Schwartzman is 16 and 9. Sock this year is 4 and 7 straight up on hard court. So Sock has really not been playing well at all. Basically, since Newport, he's really been struggling. And he had that nice come from behind win uh, against Golfen, where he was down two breaks in the first, came back. And I just think Golfen's kind of fallen off a cliff again where Schwartzman is a steady, solid player who should wear down Sock over the course of four or five sets. This match might be four hours. It might be a really long one. Sock's an unforced error machine, not to mention the fatigue issues. I think Schwartzman eventually wears him down. So I like him to win uh, straight up at minus 200. And I'm going to parlay that with Medvedev to win 3 nothing or Medvedev in straight sets against Kozlov at minus 375. And that two-pick pays out of minus 112. Kozlov's a disaster. Kozlov, so far, in the U.S. Open, his career, he's 1-6. Medvedev in the past 52 months is 46-10 and 10 on hard courts.
Kozlov has lost each of his last six ATP hardcourt matches in straight sets. I think Medvedev steamrolls. I think he'll win 6-3, 6-2, 6-1, or 6-0 in each of the three sets. I just expect in and out, two hours, Medvedev crushes, and Schwartzman gets it done. Give me that two-pick parlay at minus 112. you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I really think it's ridiculous, the price that they're giving off on Schwartzman. It's just, it's not right. And I think the Medvedev price is absurd. Kozlov t- is not a good tennis player. Yeah, seventy-five. I mean, that, that should be at least like 500. Yeah, you said you compared to all the other books you've seen a crazy number. So yeah, it's a it's it's much better deal than what you're getting anywhere else. So yeah, and Medvedev, you know, we know Medvedev. So and we know that if he's going to struggle, it's against serving volley guys. And Kozlov isn't even a good server. Right. Kozlov was very good in juniors because he was against people his age or in the teenage age, and none of them could really hit the ball harder than him. And it seemed like Kozlov kind of had a Donald Young trajectory where he was this amazing American junior player, and that was the peak of his career. He just never got any taller. He never got stronger, and people just lapped him, and Medvedev's going to crush him. So that's my two pick at minus 112. For my dog, you're going to have to check your books because you got to make sure that one set is the minimum requirement for this bet to count. I'm going to fade a guy that we talked about earlier in this event having crazy odds, and he's against an American. I'm going to take Steve Johnson on the money line at around plus 170. He's against Dimitrov. Dimitrov won the first set of his last match 6 nothing, and quit six games later because he got injured. He hurt his knee against team, and I still am not even sure if he's fully recovered from the knee issue. They've played each other several times. Now, Dimitrov has done well. Uh, he's 5-3 and three straight up. He's actually 4-1 and one on hard court. But the fact that Dimitrov is roughly a minus 200 favorite when he's been injured all the time for the past year and change, he's an injury-prone player. And if you want to look at his past couple of results, he really has not been that good. Dimitrov ended up losing to team via... Uh, retirement, lost to Shapo in straight sets, lost to Diminor in straight sets. The only match that he's won on hard court in a lot in really the past couple of months was against a qualifier in Canada. He beat Alexis Galarnu, and Galarnu is ranked somewhere in the hundreds. So that's really not an impressive win at all. But I mean, you can really look at Dimitrov's hard court resume this year. It's been disastrous. And he lost to Mackenzie McDonald in Miami. He ended up losing to Rublev in the quarters in uh, in the early part of, uh, I believe that was January. It was either January or February. But the point is, Dimitrov's won one hard court match in the last several months. And the one match was against the Canadian qualifier. And yet he's minus 200 against Johnson. Now, Johnson, is he a great player? No, but he's consistent. He's a 32 years old who slices every backhand, and he's going to make you earn it. And I'm going to—I think that uh, that Johnson can do enough to test the fitness level of Dimitrov. Dimitrov might retire, which is why I said you need one set minimum requirement. But you're going to give me a plus 170 against the guy who could withdraw at any point? I think it's absurd. I'm going to take Johnson at plus 170. 
Yeah, it's so, so big that you make sure that your book um, has the right rules there instead of just blindly going at it. But yeah, if you have a guy that could be injured this whole time, he'll definitely go one set, at least unless he doesn't play the match, in which case your bet gets voided. Is he healthy it, right now? Like, we right. don't know that. Nah, I wouldn't. He won sixth love against him in the first set and decided he was done, which is a clear sign of injury. So we have no idea if he's... Uh, I don't think he is healthy. I mean, we have no idea if he's in even playable form so having plus 175 there with a guy that can retire easily without in within this match definitely a good deal i just don't know how it's not like close to a pick or something i get dimitrov's good in the head head but it seemed like dimitrov was battling a couple of things against team because it was six games after winning the first set six zero and according to some reports he was battling an illness but it also seemed like he was grabbing or like he was looking at his knee and as they were, he was approaching team to shake hands at the net. He shook his head as in like, no, like there's something wrong here. So the fact that he's overcoming an illness and maybe a knee issue in the span of a week and a half, and he's facing off against a veteran who has the home crowd advantage. I think Johnson's a bargain at about 170. But that's yeah, how I look yeah. at it. I'm with you on that. Any, any reasoning? I know we talked about... Um, fading guys who have just played long tournaments in the past. The only issue here is that Dejer is going to go up against Rublev. Do you want to make a case for, Bra for Brower? Yeah, Brower against Manorino. Uh, that's the tough part. You have you when you get to a Grand Slam, you have guys that come in like Brower. I wouldn't say I'm making a case for Brower. Uh, I was going to ask you if you were. When in my opinion, I'm looking at what his draw is up against the next guy and start fading, looking to fade Manorino after this first round. Well, it's always tricky to evaluate uh, kind of unknown players who dominated in qualifying. And you look at Brower, he did very well in qualifying. Now, Manorino barely dropped a set in the entire tournament. He completely coasted through the final couple rounds, but I do worry about the fatigue because he had to play that many matches. I think my approach for that Manorino match, I would either take Brower to win a set or maybe just the over because Brower's a decent server. Manorino can hold his own. I think he might get a breaker in there. Worst case scenario. I think 37 does seem a little bit low if you're really worried about Manorino's fitness or maybe just take Brower plus five in the game count. Yobi takes a set 6-4, six, 6-3. Six, and you're probably home free. I don't think I'd have the guts to actually take the money line, but either the over or the spread, it's either Brower in some capacity or pass. But I've seen too many players play really well for a weekend or for an entire week and then have one or two days off and then look awful the following week. It's very difficult to reset without fully recharging your batteries. I think Manorino loses relatively early in this tournament. Right, yeah, that's what I, that's what I was saying before. I don't know if he's going to lose in the first round, but start to look at him to, for maybe a big fade play for the round two or round. I don't even know if he gets to round three, but if he happens to get to round three, at round three. Yeah, that's all I'm looking at it. But I do like that you brought that up. I thought the was going to get his ass kicked by Rublev anyway, and he was completely dead in the final. He couldn't really move his legs, and I think he's going to get killed by Rublev in the first round. Besides that, um, then that's basically going to do it for the show. Uh, we're probably going to do more episodes this week, just letting you know. I know we've been a little bit light, mostly because of how annoying the daily schedule is for American tournaments because they play every day, 
and you don't get the lines until 4 a.m., the U.S. Open at least will have lines every day because each player has a day off in between matches. So we'll probably have several episodes almost daily. I don't know if we're going to fully do daily, probably one episode per round, which is what we're aiming for. So there's going to be a lot of tennis content, so look forward to that. But Sam, before we officially end the show, let the people know where they can find you. Let the people know what you're up to. I'm up to this. This this podcast, you'll always find me here pretty much unless you have extremely late lines. I'm, I'm not the 4 a.m. podcaster like you are, but uh, you can find me over at, at Sam Jacob Tennis uh, on Twitter. I'm sure I'll be putting out content during this U.S. Open, and I'm sure we'll be having a lot of podcasts, like you said, throughout this tournament. So I'll be here. Yep, and you can find me on Twitter at Rice Shell Radio. R-E-I-C-H-E-L radio. Besides that, still doing a bunch of other podcasts, either WNBA, the new NFL gambling podcast. Check that out. We got the fantasy football podcast, uh, tennis, bunch of stuff, uh, NBA as well. We did some win totals for the Eastern Conference and Western Conference. So check those out. We should be doing more future videos moving forward, but a lot of content all over the platform. Of course, you have college football which officially started up last weekend, which was a lot of fun. NFL is starting up in about a week and change. A lot of sports, and SGPN is going to be your best place to find information or betting tips on basically everything. I know that one of the MLB gambling podcast people also wrote some articles for the Little League World Series. He gave out Hawaii at 5-1 to one to win the Little League World Series, and they won the Little League World Series. So if you want action on anything, Check out SGPN. But uh, besides that, though, until next episode, good luck to all of you and all your bets. Bye, everyone.